0: no, that's not what the assignment required. You made a jump where you left a huge gap between what you said and what you concluded. Therefore, that's why you got the grade you received. I believe based on how you presented your paper that you did not ask the necessary questions to fulfill the task at hand. Will that be all? that was my reimagining of a painful conversation I had with a professor while I was in school and it hurt because I got a bad grade and (laughs) it was not changed hey this is Michelle Spive and I want to welcome you to today's podcast of wisdom smack so sit back join me relax and join me on the flip as we talk about asking the necessary questions I'll see you then Questions. Oh my gosh. Let's just start first by defining a question. In this regard, we're going to take this one that a question is a matter of some uncertainty or difficulty. It's a problem. It's a problem that might be up for discussion, under discussion, or even under investigation. It's actually can be, it, it can actually be uh, a subject that is up for dispute. It can be of controversy. You see, a question can be something that takes an active form and that causes people to have to consider it, grapple with it, and finally conquer it. Yes, questions. Yes, yes, yes. So, necessary questions. I am wanting to share this wisdom smack with you and I'm going to have to do uh, a concentrated version of it. So let me just get to it. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the um, logical ways that I've been taught to uh, look for questions. And then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the wisdom smack of these questions. Now, I'm going to tell you, you want to listen to today's podcast. And the reason why is because if you get this, then you're going to be able to shortcut a lot of unnecessary struggle or superfluous struggle that you probably don't need to go through. All right. So the first things first, let's get into some of the most popular ways to look at questions. So in my scientific side of life, I had to learn how to uh, encounter questions from a scientific method. So let me start there. Some of you may or may not know that when I started in college, I was a chemistry major. Yeah, I made it. Uh, yeah, I made it uh, through my senior year and decided to change my major then and had to stay an extra um, year to finish up. But in that. In between time, I managed to learn how to go about answering questions and solving for the what ifs using the scientific method. So here's a quick review, you guys, and trust me, I'm gonna make it fast. It's not gonna be that bad, okay? But it's really good to understand this. So with the scientific method, the first thing you want to do is you want to develop some, you know, some kind of hypothesis. Um, and a hypothesis, the normal framework for that is a if then. So If this happens, then I expect this to happen. Or it's a causal relationship. If then, cause and effect, act and react, okay? So once you develop your hypothesis, then you want to test it. And to test it, you need to test it from a non-bias situation, meaning you are not setting up your test to prove or support this hypothesis. So you wanna come up with a non-biased way to test it. Once you do that, you set it up, then you wanna test it and observe your results. Then you decide if your hypothesis is correct or not. Now I know you're probably thinking about beakers and uh, fluids that'll burn you if you smell them, and yeah, that's correct as well. I mean, that's correct. But you can also use these hypotheses when you're looking at questions of of personal behavior. Um, Sociologists use uh, the scientific method all the time to when they gather uh, large amounts of data and they run this data to figure out how to go about looking for a different hypothesis. So it's not just dealing with things in a lab. It can be used in real life situations as well. And trust me, stick with me, y'all. I promise you, I'm going to get you there. So when you go through and you observe these results of the hypothesis, you want to look for bad uh, data that would mess up your hypothesis uh, decision. Bad data is going to be data that may be too small. It might be uh, data that's biased. It might be data that's irrelevant. So you want to extrapolate all that crud and crap out, right? And you want to continue to keep testing that hypothesis as new new data becomes available or as you get to improve your knowledge of what you're looking for to get better data. So there's that. And then this is the thing that, I want you guys to understand uh, about this scientific method. All right. Uh, Now, trust me, I'm capsulating down a lot of years of pain (laughs) for me (laughs) that I'm trying to put in two minutes. So bear with me. I want you to understand that good thinkers start with a hypothesis and then they go with the data. They don't start with data and then go with a hypothesis. And the reason for that has been, and as, is, as of my understanding continues to be, that when you look at data, data is an observation, whereas ha- a hypothesis is a conclusion. Uh, so you kind of like start from the backwards and work forward. In a different podcast, I actually talked about the inversion strategy. And I talked about it uh, as a way that people of means and of power and of great effect use it in their lives. And so what they do is, for lack of a better term, now that we're talking about it, they set up a hypothesis of the possible what-ifs. And then they go back and work back. So they don't um, plan for the outcome they want they plan to mitigate the possible uh, wrong outcomes that can happen. And so that's an inversion strategy. It's a little different from the scientific method, but it's kind of a cousin to the, um, the scientific method. You still with me? Okay, good, good, good. Thank you for sticking with me. All right, so we got that one. I just took you through the scientific method, all about the hypothesis, testing it, observing it, and then disproving or proving what your hypothesis is, right? All right, so then I want to move towards another one that's called the, uh, uh, the uh, data loop, D-A-D-A. And that's an acronym that stands for Data Analysis Decision and Action. And uh, our dear friend to the show, John Braddock, uh, actually takes you through this one as well in his uh, A Spies Guide on How to Think. And so with this one, what you want to do is you're looking for any gaps, holes, or biases, or things that would dilute or corrupt your thinking and your thought process. So what you want to do here is you want to gather data. So instead of an hypothesis, you are going to start with data. And remember, I said data is an observance or a collection of things. Well, I didn't say that part, but data is an observance or it is a collection from observance of actions or, or things that your subject uh, provides for you. So once you gather your data, then you wanna analyze it. And to analyze simply means that you're going to orient or put in order what you're doing uh, to make sense of it. It's kind of like separating out um, the lean meat from the fat, the wheat from the chafe, um, or chaff, however you want to say that. And then after you've done that organization, you want to make a decision. And I've talked about decisions before. Decision or decide is to separate out and go with one specific action, uh, annihilating all other possibilities. So once you've gathered your data, observed it, and and got your orientation, then you want to make a decision on what you're going to do. And then you want to take action on it. All right. And so this is where you want to uh, look at being able to um, develop a way of asking the right questions. And I've Given these two to you because I want to have a basis that this works, uh, nece- asking necessary questions uh, works if you are a logical person or if you are, you know, logical, rational person, or if you're an art- artistic, creative person, it works. So I, I've given you that side first. All right. So now I want to talk to you about another side and that is dealing with the, um, understanding of self, emotions, and those types of things. And that has to do with having the courage to ask the questions that get to the seed of a matter. And when I look at seed for this particular uh, point. I'm talking about the the propag uh, the propagation or the source of everything. It is the smallest component. Uh, it is the part that is um, prepared uh, to propagate to uh, to grow. And so it's not the the single most. I mean, but it is it is the most simplest. If I had to say it, fertilized or mature part of a, of a component that it can survive if you continue to nurture it. And so that is where you have to actually look for the um, questions that are going to help you get to that matter. And for that, I'm going to be talking about the Socratic method. Yes, I know I'm throwing a lot at y'all today. I have given you the scientific method, the uh, data looping method, and now we're going to talk about the Socratic method. Y'all, if you listen to this and you get this, oh baby, some things about to change in your life, I'm trying to tell you. All right, let's get to the Socratic method. Now, this comes from Socrates and that good old gadfly (laughs) of his time, um, Uh, What he did was is in the Socratic method, it was a questioning method where he would ask the, you guessed it, the necessary questions to get to a point where the person or the individual was able to define the concept, the idea, the thinking, the wisdom, whatever it was that they purported to know with a precision. And how he did that was they would have a conversation. And his premise was, I don't know anything, so you have to explain every part of it to me so that I may understand it. So the first thing he would do is he would ask them to define whatever this was that he was trying to, they were trying to tell him about. So they would have to define the concept. And what he would then do is look for and identify inconsistencies in their answer. And this would go through um, more questions. So like, say, if you say um, wisdom is love and he says, okay, uh, so what, you know, so if you say wisdom is love and I need wisdom on how to uh, sue uh, my neighbor, do I just need to go to somebody who's full of love and they become my lawyer? And then it would go from there. So that's an example. So once he would start to identify the inconsistencies in your answer, this would have to force you to withdraw that definition. And as you continue to go through this question and it was kind of like stripping it down, then it would make you have to reformulate and refine your idea of what you were saying. After that, yeah, after he would get you down to the point where you were like, "Okay, this is consistent; it makes sense." Then he would do a dialysis, meaning he would divide and break down the components that were left over of your concept, and with you, he would analyze or take you through an analysis of the parts. Now, what did we say analysis was? You see, I told y'all, I told y'all I was setting y'all up. Uh, So the analysis was to orient or to put in order, you know. And so this was to help you get very clear on what it was you believed, maybe even why you believed it, what you were to, to say about it and how you could explain it so that each person could understand without a shadow of a doubt your facts, your truths and your beliefs about something. All right. So after the dialysis and the analysis of the parts would go, uh, he would go through that. Then he would start to attack each one of them separately to see if they still had a valid reason for being in the concept in the first place. So this was to strip out all of the um, impassioned but erroneous or, or temporal uh, fluff that might be in the concept. Remember, this was stripping it down. Once he did that, then he would help you regroup all of this back into a more common concept where, you guessed it, you ended up with a streamlined, precise definition of the concept or the idea or whatever it was that you were talking about. He could be very infuriating, but that was the Socratic method. The Socratic method is actually what uh, lawyers use as the basis for interrogation, where they take people through their testimony. They do the same thing. And it has withstood all of this time. It is what our, a lot of our Western... Um, concepts of uh training and knowledge and disseminating knowledge come you know is built on it is part is part of the pillars of how we learn and because of that we have to embrace learning how to ask the necessary questions now i've taken you through these three and it's time to to get into the wisdom smack and what's in this for you why do you need to consider asking the necessary questions. Um, there's this book. <laughs> there's this book that um, I have uh, recently read, and I'm actually going through it again uh, because it is mm, it's something. It's something, um, and I'm just going to tell you the uh, the title. And when you hear the title, you'll understand why I'm I'm saying it the way I'm saying it. And the title of the book is. Why Won't You Apologize? by uh, Harriet Lerner, PhD, Dr. Harriet Lerner. And it's a quick read, but it's very convicting. And what she does is just, she goes through uh, how you should apologize. If you feel like you need to be apologized to, um, it, it, like I said, it, it really takes you through some of the things. Some of it, you'll probably be uh, like, I don't agree with this. And some of it, you'll be like, yeah. And uh, it, it, it takes you through the full gamut of emotions. But as I was uh, reading, reading it, I was realizing that she is getting us to, you guessed it, ask necessary questions, to be able to go there, to get to the seed of the matter of whatever it is you need. One of the things that um, I want you to understand is that in today's society, if you're going to be able to be a viable person, able to contribute to society as well as contribute to yourself, the questions that we have to be personally responsible for is that we need to be able to identify self-delusion. And self-delusion, I can say a lot on it for the, pur- for the purpose and scope of today's little, little chat we're having. Self-delusion comes in when we do not ask ourselves those necessary questions and take ourselves through an uh, internal dialogue. With our higher self to get down to the matter. I've talked about beliefs. I've talked about them being needing to be flexible, and uh, I've talked about them needing to evolve. And I'm going to actually talk a little bit about um, evolving values and how to do that on another podcast. But for today, I want to. I want to just quickly say that if you're trying to turn this into an action step. Necessary questions are going to revolve around you, stripping away the barrier between your inner self and how you are perceived uh, to others in your actions, meaning that you step outside yourself to turn back and look on yourself. And that book that I just talked about, Why Won't You Apologize?, it is really good at doing that when we're talking about matters of emotional management. Uh, Recently, I talked about an intelligence quotient that is coming into vogue, and I believe it's here to stay, and it's called the Adaptability Quotient. But I don't believe the adaptability quotient would have been able to come to the forefront if we hadn't in between the intelligence quotient or IQ, we had managed to we hadn't managed to squeeze in the emotional quotient, you know your emotional intelligence. And so we still have to have that. And being able to be emotionally intelligent means that you ask the necessary questions to ru- knock those rough edges and those calluses off of you. Um, another book I was, uh, uh, skimming back through, uh, reminded me of, uh, this story of this surgeon, uh, young surgeon who was responsible for the disinfectant protocols that we have in healthcare now. And he was, uh, observant and he did all of the things that I talked about with his scientific method as well as the data method. And this was um, back in the turn of the 19th century to 20th century, 19th to 20th, somewhere around there. Um, and the, But the problem was, is that he never got a chance to see that his uh, assessment and his hypothesis was true on a grand scale uh, because he actually went insane and died at a fairly young age. But not only that, he was not able to, I believe, ask the necessary questions of himself as to how to get others to accept his policies. You see, he was very brash. He might have been right but he was not right when it came to talking to people in a way that wouldn't ruffle their um, uh, egos or get them to consider what he was saying Uh, because it was no fun uh, for the doctors when he was actually telling them, you're the ones uh, killing patients. And this all revolved around, so so I can just paint this quick picture for you. This revolved around a high mortality rate Uh, with young mothers and their babies. And he started noticing when they would do autopsies that there was this same recurring phenomenon of uh, necrotic tissue and uh, infection. And he came to find out that doctors were not washing their hands after dealing with um, uh, death, dying, and um, diseased, they would go right from dealing with someone who had died or had great disease and then deliver a baby, stick their hand all up in there and everything. And they were wondering why they were having one in six mothers dying during childbirth. And so he was like, you need to wash your hands and not only wash your hands, wash your hands with disinfectants. But because he was adamant that they were murderers, <laughs> that no one wanted to hear anything from him. Now, I've, I took part of my precious time to tell you uh you know precious time of this podcast i should say to tell you that story because of the fact that this is a gross illustration to show you why we need to always be asking ourselves the necessary questions because we have to be the ones who are going to um Self-analyze and 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 self-police our ourselves, you know. So I've talked about this self um, delusion. I also want to uh, hit real quick on having a healthy skepticism, and why is that important? That's important because as we continue to uh, be, uh, I, I, I guess, as our worlds between different societies and cultures shrink we have to toughen up our, um, our ability to be analytical. And skepticism is a great way for the everyday person to uh, embrace a little bit of the analytic nature. That's another reason why I took you through what it means to do the scientific method. You see, when you have a skepticism, about something, you investigate first before you extend the credit of belief. And in today's world, that will help you to ask the necessary questions. Now that you've asked them of yourself, or you should be on an ongoing basis to do your work to stay out of self-delusion, you start looking at your world and testing it. You start looking at how you're able to, um, put things under rigor and under, uh, under, under the, the microscope of uh, scrutiny before you just accept everything hook, line, and sinker. Um, there's a saying, and I'm, I can't say it exactly, but it goes something like, um, the true skeptics are the ones who will experience great love. And that's usually attributed to the fact that if you are skeptical, then you're more apt to uh, not just jump in and fall into love so easily without making it, uh, um, making it survive under your scrutiny of eyes wide open and being able to be, uh, more, um, analytical, more logical and reasonable when it comes to this. Yeah. And, and so with that, It's another thing that you have to be willing to ask the necessary questions. You know, um, I also talk about uh, in in my own um, way of dealing with these necessary questions. I also have to ask myself what is authentic and what is truth and truth. Now, that's the thing. Truth is a moving target. It's not fact, but it's a truth. And so with my authenticity uh, and trying to be a little bit skeptical, you know, check everything out. Remember I told you guys my grandfather's, uh, his total um, philosophy was, in God, we trust everybody else we check out. He really meant that, by the way. Um, Being able to uh, have a pretty good line between that and uh, optimism and those types of things boded me well. Okay. So the, the next thing I, you know, I, cause like I'm trying to, I know I'm giving you guys so much. So thank you so much for listening. So the next thing I want to really just hone in before I have to let you go is that there are some personal, uh, things that you can do to make sure that you're giving yourself a, a, a good probability to stay, uh, healthy, to stay in, uh, a good understanding of your life and your surroundings, and that is to ask these necessary um, questions, and they have to do with agreements. Now, there was this famous book that came out uh, by uh, Miguel Ruiz, Don Miguel Ruiz, and um, it was called the Four Agreements. And then he came out with another one that was called the Fifth Agreement. And I'm just going to go over there those really quickly. Um, Because I want to get you to understand uh, how you can have this personal relationship that will help you to continue to know how to form the right questions for different scenarios that are going to happen in different phases of your life. And this seems to encapsulate it really well. Okay, so from the Five Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, his first agreement is, and he uses this word impeccable. He says, "Be impeccable with your word. Speak with integrity and say only what you mean." So impeccable, complete. You know, uh, keeping keeping the um, um, the wholesomeness of your word. The second agreement is to don't take anything personally. That speaks for itself. You know, don't have uh hypersensitivity about everything don't skew everything remember don't be self delusioned the third agreement is don't make assumptions and that goes back to having a healthy amount of skepticism check verify bef- check and verify before you uh accept and also if you are doing uh, things like the scientific method of a hypothesis and then testing it out and then observing your findings. Or if you don't have time for that and you just straight up in the streets and got to move fast, you can use the data uh loop where you use your data analysis, you uh, make a decision, and then you take action. You see, doing that kind of stuff, that keeps you out of uh making assumptions. And then the fourth agreement, which is so nice, it says always just be your best. Be the best you can with what you have at that particular time. Don't flub it, don't don't phone it in. And then the next one is the fifth agreement. Be skeptical, but learn to listen, okay? And I loved that one because that kind of put the cherry on the top and was almost a missing factor that I needed to smooth out and and um round out the rough edges on being a person who is determined no matter how hard it is uh for me to see myself in tr- in, in truth of um what is at hand uh to ask the necessary questions and you know you're going to do this and what you'll start to see is that you'll see that you're not 100% right and you're not 100% wrong on most of the things you do it will help you to have a more well-rounded approach to life where you can be uh, more objective to not only your life, but to other people's lives. And it'll help you to have a, a better um, communion with people. And so it is imperative that you start If you haven't already, you start developing a way to ask the necessary questions. Oh my gosh, my time is up, but I want to just make sure I impress on you that you need to have the courage to ask the questions that get to the seed of the matter, to get down to where you need to be to operate in a holistic way. Yep. This is Michelle Spiva. I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. I'm going to see you tomorrow. And thank you so much. Check the show notes for the books listed and the link to support us from um, amazon.com. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye.